0: New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989 and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. Okay, I'm just going to invite our uh, speaker for this morning, uh, Louise, to come up and I'm just going to introduce her to you. So this is Louise Morse. Uh, Louise has been following uh, news and research in dementia for over 20 years. Uh, Louise is from South Wales, so that's where she has travelled from today uh, to be with us. She's a Christian counsellor and cognitive behavioural therapist uh, with a master's degree in dementia caregiver burden. Is that right, Louise? Uh, She has published six books, five about dementia and um, whenever you're on your way out, if you want to have a wee look, some of her books and materials are on the table over here and also in the bookshop, so this is just a a little sample, you'll find some in the main book tent. Um, She also helps churches to set up dementia, uh, inclusive practice and pastoral care programmes. She's also produced a programme for cognitive and spiritual strengthening that is being used by churches and faith groups and hospital chaplains and importantly in families and she also holds meetings on Zoom. Louise works for the Pilgrim's Friends Society uh, which some of you may have heard of, maybe many of you have not heard of. Uh, It's a Christian charity founded in 1807 and it supports older people uh, and to advance the Christian faith. Uh, So Louise, you're very welcome to New Horizon, it's lovely to have you with us and we hope you will enjoy your time with us this week. Just another point, if you feel you would like some pastoral support in relation to this topic, please feel free to speak to Louise at the end of this seminar. She can take a few minutes to have a wee personal word with you. Also, just to remind you that the prayer tent is available after the morning and evening meetings, um, where if you'd like somebody to pray with you, um, one of the prayer team will be very happy to, to do that. Um, So I'm just going to pray with Louise now uh, before she speaks to us.
1: Are you going to pray all that? Yes. Shorten it, please. I've lost a lot of time already. (laughs) Okay. God knows all about it. All right. Thank
0: you. Okay. Uh, Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to hear from Louise this morning. We just ask you'll give her wisdom and clarity as she shares with us. And we do pray for ourselves as we listen Uh, Some of us may have been impacted personally by the experience of dementia or we just want to know more. So please help us to hear from you uh, so that we can go away encouraged and equipped by the God of hope who is making all things new. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you. you. Well, good morning. Now we're going to get on with it. I always think these introductions I know that they're necessary. But I've got just over half an hour to cover quite a complex um, subject, really. And can I ask, would you put your hand up if you are in any way involved in a dementia journey? Quite a lot. I'll be tracking your faces because I'm careful not to open a can of worms that can't be addressed in a meeting like this. I usually find that, although I've got questions and answers, and I allow a space for it, that most people don't want to ask in public their question. That's why we said, um, Linda said, that um, I'll be available afterwards for a few minutes. Okay, so it's in a strange setting here. This is roughly, I've written more than books. Um, The books are available from Amazon, from our website, from anywhere. But I've also written something that's called a psychosocial intervention that's proving very, very effective for people with dementia. I'll mention this first before I get into the topic. And it's this here, this here, here. It's a series of sessions that brings people together. It's based on CBT principles, the main one being disgu- guided discovery. It works hugely well. We tried it out in our extra care housing in Yorkshire for two years before realizing how well it worked. It does what it says on the cover. It boosts cognition, but it also strengthens spiritual faith. It's being taken up by more and more churches, hospital chaplains, etc. And I'm just about to start a series of Zooms as a user group for it. So if you are in any way involved with groups in your church where people want to come and strengthen their brains really and their thinking processes, I'd recommend this for you. So that's out of the way. It's like being in somebody else's kitchen here, where you, you know, you don't know where the kettle is or anything like that. So there's a series of books there. Um, the best one I'm told, for now, is called "It's Called Dementia: Frank and Linda Story," which is actually a true story. I followed a couple who happened to live next door to a colleague, and I was able to follow what helped them and what didn't help them. They were both Christians. I put it all into the book. And a leading physician who's famous um, in London for something or other, wrote a medical review where he said that he felt that all clinicians should read this book. So that's Frank and Linda's story. There's other ones over there. Uh, One that I've been asked to reprint several times is worshipping with dementia. I did that one actually for tired caregivers when they're settling their person down at night. So it has a scripture verse, a small devotion, a small prayer, and a hymn that matches. And it took me longer to put together with the hymns than anything else, because when you're reading those old hymns, they are beautiful. They are more scriptural than many of today's, I like today's songs, especially 10,000 Reasons, but... I've had so much positive feedback from that, and I'll refer to it when I refer to something that happens with people with dementia. So today I'm going to look at what is dementia, the best care for people living with it, the best care and support for family caregivers, and this is where churches are so important. The better a caregiver, and there's usually one main one in a family, Sometimes the caregiving aspect of dementia splits families. Some family members won't visit because they don't like the change in their parent or their elder relative. They can't cope with their emotions. But the best care that a caregiver gets creates a kind of virtuous circle where he or she, it's more commonly a she, is better able to care for their loved one. So it's so important to support the Caregiver, we'll come to that later, and what churches can do. Now, here is something you may not know because the whole of dementias, I'll come to what dementia actually is in the next slide, has been Alzheimerized. So the Alzheimer Society is responsible for most of what we read about dementia. But actually, you probably don't know that in the Western world, cases have been falling steadily for the last 30 years. How many people knew that? You don't, do you? Because the Alzheimer's Society wants you to fund research. Um, The Alzheimer's Society is, is generously funded by the pharmaceutical industry. In our case, in the UK, it's by Eli Lilly, which is one of the main players. They are looking for, and please God they may find it, a cure or a preventative for dementia so everything they write is to encourage people to support them and to mainly to encourage government to support them with funding which then goes mainly to the pharmaceutical societies as well as to our universities but it's been falling because we know better how to live Dementia is caused by, it's not a mental illness. I remember giving a talk in Birmingham and there were several people from ethnic churches there and one lady said to me, in my church they're convinced that it's demonic possession. It's nothing of the sort, it's a physical damage to the brain. It's physical damage in the form of chemical imbalance, they don't really know where it begins, but the bottom line in prevention for dementia is having a good blood flow supply to the brain. Your brain takes up 20% of your oxygen and your nutrients. Um, Many people have, in fact, I'm doing the journey now with a very dear friend of mine whose husband is a pastor. She used to be my counseling supervisor. And he has had a cardiovascular insufficiency for a number of years. He had a couple of little mini strokes, TIAs, and I watched him about six years ago and thought, how can he prevent a slide into dementia? And actually, COVID finished him off, really. Cases of dementia have risen hugely from COVID because as we've been hearing today, I've been so delighted with this. God designed people to work in relationship with one another. There's research that's just come out that shows that people who live in isolation by choice, even though they may not have feelings of loneliness, have reduced gray matter in their brains and are over 20% more likely to develop dementia. People who have feelings of loneliness, who are isolated because of their circumstances, whatever they are, they are 57% more likely to develop dementia. What you think affects your brain the Nobel Prize winner, Eric Kandel, who was one of the first to introduce the notion of neurogenesis and neuronal circuitry and it, the impact on it. Um, he took part in a brain series, uh, which I followed. It was a very successful brain series with leading psychologists, neuroscientists, etc. And at the end of one of his talks, he said, the thoughts you have had today shape your brain Because when you sleep, your brain goes over all of the day like a filing cabinet. Scientists have found it follows the source of the colosum, which brings your two hemispheres together. So it's so important, the thoughts we allow to dwell in our minds. And as a cognitive behavioral therapist, I have to say, most people are surprised to find that they're in control of their thinking, actually. How many of you know that you can control your thinking? Yeah, you can. You can choose to control what you think. So there's no standard format. Each case of dementia is a mixture of the pathology and the person's personality. So it's unlike a broken arm. A broken arm is a broken arm. You see how it's broken. They know how to set it. It's not like that with dementia. The whole person has a life history within them. They have their own culture which impacts with the pathology to produce different results. Does that make sense? So my friend, Paul, who is a tall, very gentle chap, is very quiet with his dementia. He's not at all angry or frustrated. He is, as he's always been, very sweet and very peaceful. And his wife and I are devastated. And his neighbors are devastated because he's so lovely but there's no cure for it yet. But there are 20 modifiable risk factors that that are said to prevent it. The Lancet first published 12 modifiable risk factors, and then they increased it to 20. And And I'll say them very quickly. They're all in the handout notes. But first of all, it's plain common sense. It's exercise. It's walking. It's eating well. It's sleeping well. When you sleep, your brain releases an enzyme that washes out dead cells from your brain, basically. If you don't sleep, that enzyme doesn't rise and those plaques tend to stay in your brain. I asked the Israeli scientist who expounded that once, is it so important you need to take a sleeping tablet? And she said, yes, it is. You need three 90-minute cycles of sleep. doesn't matter if you wake up, but you need those three cycles. Ever since I've heard that, I wake up three times at night, twice at night. I look at the clock and think, oh yes, that's cycle number one. They're totally neurotic and nothing to do with it, but <laughs> it puts it in my brain. So, and the risk factors are mental health. Mental health is a huge risk factor. So if you have mental health issues, sometimes it is a chemical imbalance in the brain. But there's um, a query now over over the role of serotonin because it's never been proven that serotonin inhibitors or uptake inhibitors actually work. There's no facts behind it. They just put the tablets out and they work. So as a cognitive behavioral therapist, I'm one in favor of, and I do it to myself at least three times a day. Why are you thinking these negative thoughts? They're usually responding to something that's happened. So ask yourself, if your feeling is that strong, where is the evidence for it? Because very often our feelings will arise from something in our past, not from what's happening now. So we need to know, is there a fact that we can change that's impacting our feelings? When we wake up in the morning, Ben mentioned that sometimes you'll wake up in the morning Um, And as you wake up, you feel anxious, you feel unsettled, you feel a bit nervous. But actually, there's a physical reason for that very often. It's because your body uses cortisol to make your organs and everything wake up. Cortisol is the stress factor. We need stress. So as our body wakes us up in the morning, we may wake up feeling anxious. So... Just remember that. It's probably not your brain. It's probably your body doing its best to get you awake. And some of us need more help than others, don't we? So, and the risk factors are there. I think we know now in the West how we should live our lives, don't we? But there's something that's coming through in the studies that isn't mentioned in some studies, but it's present in all the studies. And that is people. We need people in our lives, even people we don't like. Not as Christians, we would admit to not liking anybody, you understand that. But we need people, God designed people, to work with one another, to build one another up in relationship. In one of his books, Selwyn Hughes, that lovely old Welsh preacher, wrote that when he realized that the meaning of life is relationship, it's relationship mirrored from the relationship of the Holy Trinity, It so impacted him he couldn't eat for three days. Life is about relationships. Think about it, what else matters except our relationships. So on, I've mentioned this, um, builds confidence and all that, and there's a copy here, and there are a couple of copies um, in the bookshop. And if you're interested in knowing more about the user group and how we plan to take it forward, Um, I gave a talk at the Wesleyan Renewed Union and I forgot to mention it. And so a pastor in the front row took the roving mic and he said to me, you didn't mention. And I thought, good grief, how could I have forgotten that? So he went on to describe it in glowing terms. He's going to be one of my users. People come from other churches around to take part in this group. What delights his heart is a little lady who never speaks, who's had a very poor quality life, who finds that she's encouraged to share from her own unique experiences. It gives confidence. And he said for him, the best thing is that that confidence is expressed in the Bible studies that they also go to, so they are freer to share and to learn in the Bible studies. But there are all sorts of results from it. Um, Some symptoms of dementia, you will know, everybody thinks that memory loss is the first symptom of dementia. Well, it's not. I mean, if you forget where you put your car keys when you're 40, you've just forgotten where you put your car keys. But if you forget where you put your car keys when you're 60, you're likely to check into a memory clinic, aren't you? It's when you've got your car keys in your hand and you can't remember what they for, that's when there's dementia. The first thing, as I noticed with Paul, is apathy. People become very apathetic before dementia. They can become very agitated too, but normally, mostly, it's a kind of apathy, a kind of falling within yourself. Um, Difficulty concentrating. Um, In fact, we remember things going way back in our crystalline memory better than we can remember things of the moment. It's that executive function where you're spinning very many plates at once and you're remembering what's on every one of them. That's what dementia attacks, is your ability to reason because your current memory um, is faulty. And being confused about time and place. I was in touch with a scientist at the Hallamshire Memory Clinic who'd introduced something that I thought sounded just like cognitive behavioral therapy. He said, if you ask somebody who really has dementia, a sentence with three questions in it, such as um, where you were born, wh- where you lived most of your life, um, the year that you were married, they will have difficulty holding those in their mind. So I tried it on an audience like this once, and they all look terrified, so I haven't tried it ever again <laughs> since. So and that case, uh, the photograph there is one of my favorites. Um, the man was called Tony, and he was an artist and illustrator with Ladybird books. He had Lewy body dementia. Some dementias are very difficult to diagnose. Lewy bodies are little spherical objects deep in the neurons, so they interfere with the firing of one neuron across to another. And it took two years for them to get a proper diagnosis, and they had to pay for a very expensive uh, scan. No, it's more than two years, actually. And by the time he was diagnosed, the psychiatrist said to his wife, he probably has only a few months to live now, because it hadn't been diagnosed, even if it had been addressed, there's no cure for it. Find a good home for him. You can spend all day with him, but look after yourself now, because she was so drained. In fact, she had heart problems after he died. So he came into our home in Evington, in Leicester. He was doubly incontinent. He was quite confused. But our care is of a certain sort, which I probably don't have time to go over. I might refer to it. That photograph was taken 18 months after he came into his home. And that's his daughter's wedding that they thought he would never be able to make. And I have another photograph of him holding his first grandchild. And his wife said to me, um, I got to know her reasonably well, it was the spiritual support at the home that made the difference to Tony. And in everything we read, there's very little about spiritual support. But for Christians in particular, it is vital. It is the vital element. So... Um, there's a pack that I don't think is there that should be there. It has everything that you need to know about dementia care how to keep the home safe, how to make it relational care, how to understand what the person is saying. I mean, you've probably heard this already, but if somebody says, I want to go home, and they are home, what they're actually saying is, I don't feel at home, I'm feeling uncomfortable. The the fragmented internal landscape of somebody with dementia is terribly discomforting to them. And one of the main things about it is loneliness. Um, A care team leader in one of our homes, um, I was waiting to interview her, actually, and I noticed when she came into the room, it was the main lounge. All eyes were on her. Everybody followed her. They clearly loved her. And I commented on it. But she exuded love and compassion. Her face, her body language was love and compassion. And she'd touch one person and she'd say, remember, Jesus loves you. And for that moment, that person's spirit was illuminated. She would forget two minutes later, but for that moment, and it's the holding in the moment that is the aim of good dementia care. So the person... Always remains. The person, him or herself, the essence of the person never changes. Now, you may think that the person is changing because the behavior changes and the person seems so different. And the reason I wrote the first book was that the relatives of people who are coming in with dementia really believed that their person was dying bit by bit. And I knew that in the Bible it says it's appointed unto man once to die. So I spoke with one of our trustees who was a pastor and a theologian at the same time. And we said, people need to know this. So we agreed to write a book together. In the end, it was really like getting copy out. It was like pulling hen's teeth. So I wrote it myself. But he reviewed all the chapters and he did write 200 words, which was very good. (laughs) But that's the reason I wrote it, is I wanted people to know that the person remains. The spirit of the person, as we'll come to in a minute, is untouched. All that they are is still there. They're living in this fragmented world that makes no sense to them and in which they can make no sense. So when cognition drops, emotions are heightened and spiritual awareness is heightened as well. So this book I recommend, it's the only book I recommend that's not mine. Well, two, I recommend another one. This was um, Dr. Graham Stokes, we're still in touch. Um, He was head of Bupa Care Homes for some years. And with some residents, they would have behavior that wasn't congruent with the person as the person was known. Uh, Challenging behavior, it's called. Responsive behavior, it's called. But usually it was disruptive to the home and to the person. So he developed this, what he called forensic analysis which in CBT we call case conceptualization. What's going on here? And here's two examples. One was a very genteel lady who was fine until the carer went to change her leg dressings in her bedroom. And then she would fight, she would spit, she would shout, she would pull their hair, she would do everything to get them away from her leg dressings couldn't understand it at all because she wasn't like that. Turns out that she'd been abused by her stepfather in her bedroom as a child for years. So the moment of lifting her skirt to change those dressings took her back to then. There was another case there. Uh, I mean, this is a little book. It's only 12 pounds. I so recommend it. It's not a Christian book but it describes how the person remains. And um, I was so impressed with it. It's really good. Another lady, they redecorated her room and did it in shades of purple and lilac, and she wouldn't go in. But he discovered that way back, she'd belonged to a branch of the Roman Catholic Church, I think, where purple meant the color of death. So they changed her decor back to neutral, and she was fine there's always a reason for a person's behavior it's knowing the person and knowing their lives that helps you care for them in a way that's not going to trigger any bad memories because looking at you here it's like russian dolls if you think we have a little one here and then you know going up in size And when I have somebody for counselling and I can sense that it's not an immediate problem, it's harking back to something in their childhood, I'll say, choose one. Choose one where you were of an age and they'll choose that one. And we'll discuss what it was that was so traumatic that they are still reacting from that hot button that's influencing still all their thinking. And you don't change when you have dementia. So... This is, um, how am I doing for time? This, I think, explains it. I have to say, I stole this idea from a very clever gentleman who's died now. He was a scientist and a Bible teacher, the best I've ever come across. He wasn't a preacher, he was a teacher. He'd worked for Washington Defense in IT. He was brilliant. His name was Dr. Charles Misler, known as Chuck Misler. So he described us really as being like Ezekiel's temple we have the outer bodies which is the part we can see I can see your outer bodies we have the gateways the ears the eyes things that take the senses in we have the outer court which is where we make sense of things where our brain interprets things according to our experience then we have the inner court which I think is the soul of us is where we lay down things that become our templates that become our tectonic plate that's the us the essence of us and beyond that we have the holy place and that's the place where the holy spirit dwells if our spirit is alive in christ our whole being is lit if somebody doesn't have that spirit alive in christ you don't have the resonance with them that we as Christians do we have an extra element we are as um, who was speaking just before me um, he's on my table I can't remember but as he says we are but we are spirit beings in earthly tents the apostle Paul talks about the body the mind the soul and the spirit doesn't he it's not clearly laid out but we are not just earthly beings Our brain is part of our earthly being, but it's also the interaction that we have with the Lord, isn't it? That's why our thinking is so important. Now, importantly, on either side of the holy place, we see the priest chambers, which I think is significant because that's the church. That's us. That's how we are to help keep the person's spirit alive with spiritual support. We have residents in our care homes who seem to be well out of it. But when they're wheeled in for devotions, which happens every day, you see them coming alive, singing the old songs, worshipping. Their faces are with it. You ask them a few minutes later, which of those hymns did you like best? They don't even remember singing the hymns. Their cognition is gone, but their spirits are alive. And it's the spirit that we feed with their Uh, One of my friends is Dr. Jennifer Butte. Has anybody heard of Dr. Jennifer Butte? She was a GP and a fellow of the Royal College, hugely educated with a huge brain, which is still bigger than mine, although she's been 16 years living with frontal temporal lobe dementia, hugely disciplined. Um, I wrote this book with her. I wrote it for her, really. went over and interviewed her. And this is what she says, when I was asked to write about how my dementia affected my relationship with God, my first reaction was to say that it was the other way around. Knowing the Lord and being kept by him affects my life with dementia more than words can say and probably more than I realize. It's knowing him in my life that gives me joy. And she says what I say that I believe that as cognition becomes limited, the person becomes more aware of spiritual things possibly because inhibitions or social assumptions are removed. My dementia has greatly deepened my relationship with God. Having dementia has enriched my life. And she is absolutely speaking the truth. She's consulted by experts from all over the world on dementia care because she can speak from the inside. But her love for the Lord and her relationship with God is almost tangible. I'm due a visit soon and because she's moved from one village to another. But as cognition, as your ability to think diminishes, so your feelings are heightened. Somebody may forget who you are, but they won't forget how they feel about you. Somebody will say, "Um, why should I go and visit him anymore? He doesn't recognize me. But who are you going for actually? Whose benefit are you going for? You're going for the person. You're not going for yourself. And you bring Christ with you. So the effects of spiritual support, um, these are like little mini headlines. Um, I'll give you just a couple of true stories. Uh, One of our supporters, father, went into our home in Hazelmead, in Surrey with dementia. He'd always been a bit grumpy. He was known for it. I think he was a strict Baptist pastor. Anyway, he got a reputation with the carers for being a bit grumpy. But then he stopped talking, which is not unusual because people with dementia will fall within themselves. Also, they lose the neural pathways to speaking, but he chose not to speak and whatever they did They couldn't get him to speak. And then one day, his daughter and her husband visited, as they did. He was having a good day and suddenly began speaking again. And he said that in the months that he wasn't speaking, God had been talking to him and he'd given him a verse in particular because he'd found it very difficult to come to terms with his losses. And God said to him, Though you fall, though you stumble, you will not fall headlong because I, the Lord, am holding you with my right hand. And that verse steadied him. And, I mean, his dementia didn't stop. It progresses as it does. But he wasn't nearly so grumpy. Now, a friend of mine, um, who's like my sister in the spirit, had a stepmother-in-law. Her father-in-law's married twice, obviously. This lady was a very difficult lady. Her own sons didn't like her very much. She had two friends in the entire world. Thank God she had two friends. But she was very difficult. And then she developed dementia. And my friend Gina, who witnesses as naturally as asking to pass the bread, please. She is such a natural person in the Lord felt that she would go up and pray with her. And she continued to visit her. She decided a long time previously when it looked as though all the father-in-law's money would go to this side of the family and there was a Jewish connection there where it was felt it was so wrong because she knew that her father-in-law would not have wanted that. And she went up anyway and she decided she was just going to love this lady. So she went up And this lady was in and out of her dementia. She was confused. But sometimes she was lucid. She was at that stage. And she was at that stage. And Gina said she felt the Holy Spirit nudge her. So she said, Can I talk to you about the Lord Jesus? And she said, Yes, you can. So Gina did. And she accepted him into her life. And Gina was so overjoyed. But the real Proof of that was everybody found her so lovely afterwards. Such a change. Everybody noted how different this person was because whatever it was that had made her like that, it's like the Beatles song, isn't it? Who left her mind like that for the rats to find? Things that happen to us in our early lives, if they're not dealt with, they can affect our whole outlook. But this lady... Was so happy. She's died just recently. So, even in the deepest dementia, and there's also something called, it's called rementing. I have so many stories of rementing, I could write another book about it. It's when the person reappears through the fog of dementia as themselves with the capabilities that it was thought they'd lost. It's mentioned in Tom Kitwood's seminal work, Dementia Reconsidered. It's mentioned by several people. The answer from the medical profession is that it couldn't have been really dementia, but it happens too often. And it says that we are not just the sum of our parts, that there's more going on with our brains than just the neuronal synapses. And as Christians, we know that God speaks to us and that we speak to him. He understands our thoughts from afar when sometimes we don't even understand them close up, do we? So all things are possible. So this usually comes when the person is contented, when they're feeling okay, when there's good care. Um, You might like to read Dementia Reconsidered. It's a big fat academic book, but it's fascinating how he points this out and he says that our understanding of the brain is so limited. And it is, really, at the moment. So, this is the reappearing, and that's Tom Kitwood's um, mention of it. And now, caregivers. It's the most stressful role. Clinical research shows that it's the most difficult role in caregiving. Um, caregivers can feel like Atlas with the whole world on their shoulder and they suffer all these different things in fact as Linda said I took my masters on this and I thought from what I learnt it was so awful I thought I'm not going to be able to ever use this in a talk who wants to hear about this but actually there's something we can do there's something we can do to alleviate it I was at a conference in Cheshire when at the end of the conference, a lady came right from the back, right up, early 50s. Her mother had died of dementia some years ago, but her family had literally sort of dropped the mother's care on her, and she'd always known that she wasn't her mother's favorite. And she had what's called complicated grief. It was filled with guilt for feeling like that. It was filled with unfairness that I should have lost valuable time with my family and my children, you know, when I was the least important to my mother, all sorts of things. So we sat for an hour and untangled her knitting. But if she'd had someone alongside her who could have just said, how would you feel about this? How are you feeling? What's it mean to you? And listen to her. Because generally, we're not very good listeners, are we? So she was okay, but it can this complicated grief, and it's grieving. Most people, most churches think after a while, oh, that's just that, their lives. They're getting on with their lives. He's got dementia, she's got dementia. But actually, people I'm seeing with my friend Ruth, it's a grieving. She's grieving the loss of her husband now. He's not the man that he was. So I take her out on a Friday, regardless of deadlines, and we go to the most beautiful garden center because she's a very artistic lady. And we have lunch. And I listen to her. And I tell her what a great job she's doing. How good it is that God, who knew that Paul would have this condition, had actually given him her for a wife, the faithful wife that she would look after him. And we'd, so I, I say things like, you know, we're all going to be perfect when we're in heaven. I'm going to be five foot seven and a size eight. I've decided this. We're all going to be perfect in heaven. He's going to be walking around as right as ninepence, and so are you. This is just a blip. This is a pilgrimage. There are parts of it that we don't like, that we hate, but it's all passing. The Bible tells us to dwell on the things that are real, that are invisible, not to dwell on the things now. Jennifer's son is a pastor in Ukraine. He's a pastor in a part of the country that hasn't been bombed yet, but the bombs are coming nearer, and they're hearing the sirens. And he noted in his last email, there was an explosion that happens way up. It's it's a a thermit explosion. It's one of the new ones that Putin threatened he would release, and he is releasing in Ukraine. And my charity prays for him. We have prayer twice a day at least, early in the morning and at lunchtime noon. But we started it at the outbreak of COVID, and it was been so effective, we're continuing to do, do it. And we pray for David. And I dared say to Jennifer, do you think it's safe for him to be in Ukraine? I mean, as a British citizen, shouldn't he bring his family out? How can you say that? When his life is dedicated to the life that God has given him in bringing people to Christ in Ukraine, and he's running a rescue center and bringing people to the Lord and baptizing them? How can you say that? Because his time here is short, but our time in eternity with souls that have been saved through his work there, that's what counts. So ask yourself, what stresses is the caregiver coping with? They can be different sorts. Some people worry about the garden. I mean, churches can have a spreadsheet, really, of talents. If you were a church and I was setting up a program with you, I'd ask you, Who cooks, who bakes good cakes? Who's good with electricals? Who's good at filling out forms? Who's good at this or that? Then I could have your talents and your availability up on the spreadsheet. And then I'd make a note of people who are coping with dementia in their families and say, would you like help from us? I mean, or would you rather cope by yourself? You know, we'd like to pray for you. Here's a telephone number you can ring up with prayer requests. What would you like? Then you can match the people and their availability up in the most practical, easy way with the people who need it. At the moment, most churches will have someone who takes responsibility for it anyway. So what are the stressors? Mostly, I found that the stressors when somebody is caring at home is that the person needs a break. Even if it's three or four hours, Now, sometimes a caregiver will get caught up with something that's called role entrapment, where they believe nobody else can understand him like they do, so they have to be with him 24 hours a day. So there are circles of support I'll go through quickly, but this is in the notes. Um, Social services, family, friends, medical, church, and you and your loved ones. And the most reliable, I've found, are the friends. Sometimes dementia will bring splits within a family, emotional splits and practical splits. But during COVID, I interviewed an 84-year-old who was looking after her husband on her own. And she said she so missed the visits from people at church they weren't allowed to visit. But one of them would come by on a walk, knock on her kitchen window. She'd go to the door, throw the door open, and they'd have a conversation from six foot away from each other. It's so important. And for caregivers, most of us don't do this. Um, maybe most of us are not caregivers, but we need one treat a day for our emotional equilibrium. Um, you're all probably too young to remember the TV commercial where the doorbell rang, the mother rang to the door pulled the babysitter in, put the babysitter in the room with the child and then dashed into the kitchen and made herself a cup of hot chocolate. And the music played and the fragrance came up from the cup. We need hot chocolate moments. My hot chocolate moment is a cup of tea in a book, just for 20 minutes. But you all have different hot chocolate moments but we need to look after ourselves, especially caregivers. Um, And caregiver burden is totally subjective. It's more emotional than it is physical. I'm going to whiz through this because the time is going now. And I've mentioned already, it's the psychological, emotional impact of caring, as I'm seeing with my friend Ruth. It's the losing of Paul after 61 years together and a life together when they've both been pastors. They're not just joined at the hip, they're joined at the soul. When he dies, part of her soul goes with him. She is not the same person. She needs building up, she needs the love of other believers. And um, these are available there. Um, Visiting a uh, person with dementia, there are practical things that you need to know and there are emotional things, for example, Don't stand over them, but sit down at eye level. That's all in the book there. That's how to make a dementia-friendly church. Um, And I've mentioned this already. I realize I'm rushing, but all these things, if you think of all these things that your church could be doing, and it's good to put them in place, actually, to think about them even before you have somebody caring for someone with dementia, Because, as I said, fortunately, the figures are falling, so there may be less and less demand. This is my iconic photograph. I love this photograph. Um, The lady there, who obviously has dementia, her features are quite blurred now. Um, I was walking out through the home, and this home has a very large entrance to the main lounge. And I saw her looking with her face absolutely aglow. As the visitor, she still had a hat on was saying something to her. So I stopped, could I take your photograph? But of course I absolutely spoiled the moment, didn't I? So I took a photograph, but I said to the visitor, what were you saying to her that made her look like that? Because she was just a church visitor, she wasn't a relative. And she said, I was saying to her, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. And her face was absolutely aglow because the scriptures were at the heart of this lady. So, yeah, and then I talked to her and she'd only just popped in because she'd just recently heard that this lady who was a member of her church was in this home with dementia. And also to recognize that there's a tipping point There's a time when somebody with dementia needs to be cared for by trained carers who get a good night's sleep, who are not caught up with doing the cooking, the washing, the ironing, and the cleaning, but are totally there as a team, a trained team, to look after a loved one with dementia. And I don't know how other homes operate. I think they probably do the same that we do. We say to relatives, just come in be part of the family. There's very much a family atmosphere in our homes. In fact, they call residents, family members, which confuses me, so I still call them residents. But come in, sit. I've known two pastors who one traveled a 50-mile-an-hour round trip to see his wife because it was so important for him that his wife got Christian spiritual support. And he would go and he would stay for the day. And as he was a pastor he soon discovered that he had a ministry with other residents as well. And by the time the Lord called his wife home, he was well loved at that home. So recognize that there comes a tipping point. We have a very poor view of care homes. I hear people say, I promised him I'd never put him in a care home. You know, I think put him in a care home. Unless you can afford to pay, you will be lucky to get in a care home nowadays because funding is so slashed. But you don't You would take somebody to hospital for treatment, even if it was long-term treatment. But there's a reluctance to find a care home place for somebody, I think, because they realize it's actually the beginning of the end of the journey. It's a big psychological thing. But you can develop a deeper, richer relationship when the heavy lifting is done for you. And there comes a tipping point, either when the person is a danger to themselves or your health is failing Uh, My friend Ruth has had to have a pacemaker fitted since she started caring for Paul. So to bear that in mind, and that's how to contact us. And I think, actually, I've run over the time because I wanted to give time for questions and answers. But you'll find everything in the notes. If you have any queries, email me. But right now I'm going to stop and say, does anyone have any questions now? But I'll also be here for a few minutes after um, for people. But can I say questions? Not to share your experiences with me. I'd love to hear your experiences, and I'll take your experiences afterwards. But are there any questions now? I'm sorry I've been so rushed, but I felt that with it overrunning, et cetera, I haven't had the time to be paced better. Actually... I'm probably always like this, and I'm not aware of it. So <laughs> that's why I've done notes. But anyway, question: um, Where's the mic, C- Linda? Could you take the mic around to this lady there? Okay. Oh, or are you? Th- oh, you've got one. Have you got it? Is that a mic? No, I don't know if this one detaches or not. It should do. It should lift out. Yeah. So if you press,
0: one?
1: because I want to be able to give the answer. Hang on. Hold on to
0: that. You take the station room. Right Does it work? Does that work? It's not working. Testing. One, two, three, four. Do we? Can it's you hear a that? It's quite small. You might be able to Can we hear that at the way. back? Yeah. Okay. You just need to yeah. hold it to your lips. Okay. Okay. First question.
1: Yeah. Uh, you, uh, really good seminar. You said earlier on the person remains. Does that mean, hello? You think they don't recognise you or know you're there? They do actually know you're there. There's no Hold it to your lips. Can you hear me? It to me. Hold it to cheer lips. Can you hear me? No. 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 Okay, just use. It. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know in that moment if the person knows who you are in the moment. We know that the brain's responses, the neurological responses, they're twofold. There's one that goes in and handles that, and there's one that comes out and handles that. We know that a person sometimes will recognize the visitor or the loved one, but isn't able to express that. But the belief is, the understanding is that because this neuronal damage is so extensive, As I'm responding to you now relatively cohesively, I'm able to do that. But it isn't clear if the person, because the person remains, recognizes you every time you go. But they recognize how they feel about you. Because feelings don't change. Feelings remain. We have two memories. One that is governed by the amygdala. That's the emotional memory. So... I mean, we've all experienced this, haven't we? We will not remember that. Who is that person? I remember going to a press thing and feeling sorry for one of the editors, and I was so nice to him. And then I found afterwards that he was my least favorite editor of all. (laughs) But I hadn't met him. But had I met him, I would have known how I felt about him even if I couldn't remember him. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's when the person reappears and suddenly they're together again that it's clear that the person remains. And if you get that book by Dr. Graham Stokes, I think you'll be really blessed by it. Any other questions?
0: Another question?
1: Yes. Oh, clever you. Uh, Even though a person hasn't spoken for a long time, how much do they understand of conversation that would be going on around them? Like if you were discussing, you know, care for them for later on or whatever how much would they understand do you think well that's a very interesting question because Dr Graham Stokes mentions a case where somebody in quite deep dementia was having, they were talking about whether to move him back to a home and he managed to get himself together again and say no, no, no so it's of the moment, it's in the moment, it's how that person is in the moment um, Dr Jennifer Butes, as Jennifer has always regarded other residents in the village as her mission field. She always wanted to be a medical missionary, so she visits everybody. Um, in fact, they call her because she's still the doctor. She's very quickly the doctor. And she insists that everybody can be brought back to speech again. And she has different techniques for enabling that. Um, you know, some is playing music, one lady got stuck on a phrase, which was, the peas are green on Saturday. And she couldn't move away from that. So Jennifer played her um, some Christian music, and she sang to it, and the lady sang to it. And when it stopped, she was freed from that. Um, People go back into the village after they've had a stroke and they've been in hospital, and one man lost the ability to speak. So he put his thumb up. But Jennifer insisted. She said, we learn the pathways to speech when we are babies. We can learn the pathways to speech when they've been damaged, when we're being rehabilitated. But it has to be rehabilitation soon after the event and not when the changes have taken, have become concrete. And it requires a whole heap of personal, concentrated care and attention. Does that answer your question? Yeah. And I also have another that I think is such a blessing. A missionary couple from Botswana um, needed to come back because his father was dying of dementia. He was an old pastor as well. The daughter in law came over because they couldn't spare the son. So she wrote to me that she was sitting with her father in law and. It was very quiet. She was just supporting his hand. And she'd been talking with him, talked to people with dementia, and she was holding his hand. And she decided to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And she sang that little verse. And she heard him say, he was just slumped in a chair head down, again. So she sang it again. And he said... Again So she sang it again, and this time he joined in with her. He hadn't spoken for over a year, And it happened as the carer was coming in through the door, and she said, her chin dropped to her feet." The person's always there. They can be reached by the spirit, even though we don't see it physically. We're so used to reading the signals from each other, aren't we? But the signals from somebody with dementia are damaged by the brain damage but they are there what they need is your love your warmth so when you visit you're over the top you know how you are with children when they're little you're over the top with them oh you're such a clever boy because you managed not to smash your sprouts underneath a kitchen table to hide the fact that you haven't eaten them but it's like that with somebody with dementia it's over the top it's how lovely you look today. I'm so happy to be with you today. It's bringing in the sunshine that touches their hearts, that touches their soul. Okay, I think that's. Um, I'm going to sit over there quietly for a few minutes, I think. I beg your pardon? Oh, yes, there are handouts. And this gentleman has just offered to give them out. So. That's
0: great. Okay, <laughs> right, thanks. Um, thank you very much Louise. Um, just feel free to go now if you have to go and pick someone up maybe from the youth programme or whatever. I just want to say a big thank you. Um, we just show our appreciation. <laughs> thank you so much and do remember um, the book's over here and also um, in the book tent. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk